Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamplett and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, but oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a budding quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite, the penultimate Dynamite before Double or Nothing Sidge. What did you make of it? Uh, uneven. Absolutely yeah. uneven is the word for me. I've come to a pretty stark and not ideal um, realization, an epiphany, that the days of January to February 2020 ain't ever coming back. They're not, AEW's a new, completely different thing. The roster is far too big. It's absolutely far too big um, to the extent now that they are going to a weird well that I don't like that reminds me of what WWE did for a lot of the sort of mid to late 2010s in that it's very much get everyone on the card in any capacity that you can. It feels like Double or Nothing has got mid to late 2010s WrestleMania vibes. Get everyone on the card, multi-man matches if you need to, and weld people together just to get them on the card because they're stars and they kind of have to be. You have to placate them. That's another byproduct of a stacked roster full of really talented and over people is that if you betray your core selling point, you're going to get TV time and the freedom with which to get over on television, which is the big AEW thing from day one. They are That's threatening to collapse in on itself. And the byproduct of keeping everybody happy is that you get a lot of storylines that just feel like an excuse to get people on the card mm-hmm. um, at the expense of good, organic, focused storytelling. Um, I feel a bit spoiled by how many wrestlers that I like are on the card. That's a good problem to have. But it's still, you know what, it's still a goddamn problem. Um, but there are, however, three things on this show that I was actually doing cartwheels over because I loved. So I wouldn't say mid is the word, but uneven and a little bit troubling for me. Yeah, I'd like... I'm going to try not to circle back to the idea of like, oh, an awesome thing happened, so I completely trust the process because I, I think I'm starting not to. Like, the, you can not trust the process as much as you used to and still think a couple of things are totally awesome. And I think I've 
like it's the last few weeks where I've realized that because previously I was using one thing to almost prop up the other. There's a lot of things I'm starting not to trust. I think like pacing issues are too consistent. I think the lack of focus is too consistent. It's very subjective, this, but I think the overabundance of uh, people and programs I'm simply not interested in is becoming a consistent problem. And we've gone like long enough where just because really awesome things are happening, it doesn't mean that necessarily everything is awesome, you know? And like the, what was one say, maybe a 80 20 split. Sometimes a 90-10 split, but like an 80-20-70-30 split of fantastic versus eh, not so great. It's like it's starting to flip the other way. And it's just impacting my enjoyment of the show over two hours. Last week was like it was such a thrilling feeling to have enjoyed a really great two-hour like rip roar and roller coaster of an episode of Dynamite without too much being like awesome. There was still the dark side of the ring thing was this like legendary AW operating at peak performance moment. But there wasn't much else for me on that dynamite that was that. But it was just a great experience overall. I don't think we get those anymore. Like, or not often enough, not consistently. And I just, I don't know, it makes me a bit sadder about the peaks because I'm sort of thinking, oh, I kind of need these peaks. Otherwise, this show is feeling a bit less essential than it used to. For me, the issue now is not so much the experience over the two hours. It's the experiences carried over throughout the week where I would remember something from Dynamite that I hadn't really articulated during watching it, and I'd tweet about it on Saturday, still having the feeling mm. of buzz and engagement in the content and the process and the storylines. And I just I love it mostly, or love a lot of it for two hours, and then when those two hours are finished, like nothing registers with me on a deep emotional level. I need Kenny Omega to come back. There's a lot to that, you know? Like it's whether it be Kenny Omega or whether it, like, and he's a big part of it. But whatever your particular favorite thing about AEW, because we've gone over this before as well. Like we don't come at this when we're criticizing AEW, we don't come at it from a place of bad faith. We don't come at it a place of like chasing clicks or clout or all that sort of stuff that has become itself a, this mini industry on Twitter. Um, it's worth putting that as a disclaimer because we always get grief when we do. <laughs> it's always from like having seen what the high bar is and wanting more of it, having chased the utopia that AEW is very occasionally like showing mm-hmm. you, you know. Um, there was a split second of it in this. Like, I'll jump ahead because it doesn't really feature into the analysis of the rest of the segment. Chris Jericho was building up to Stadium Stampede and the audience was going, yes, 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 yes. And then John Moxley was like, I don't like Stampede, Stadium Stampede. And everybody in the building went, yeah, me neither, never liked it. <laughs> Like, I didn't like Stadium Stampede before you were born <laughs> because that's the investment in John Moxley. That is there forever. That is built from an incredible debut in 2019, an incredible first few, like, outings with the likes of Kenny Omega, the 2020, which we still wax lyrical about now. Like, there is a faith and a trust and a love for John Moxley so deep that people just turned on the thing unanimously that seconds ago they were getting hyped and buzzed for. That feeling is, like, the closest I can think of at the moment to that bottled emotion that, like, PK or AEW gives you. And I'm not so sure that many people would express that for a lot of other things on this card at the moment. I'd, I, I just, I don't sense it. Uh, maybe, like, popping for CM Punk against a cowboy in Texas is another example of that. Bottled emotions that I'm not so sure are maybe there. Like, AEW typically could bottle it in seven or eight different segments or seven or eight different feuds, and I'm just not so sure that's there for the majority of the product at the moment. I often sit here and say, oh, it was a roller coaster of an episode, and that could be Dynamite, Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, bloody NXT 2.0 for for all you know. But I think it's most applicable to Dynamite because, like you say, the highs are the highest of highs. Mm. Not necessarily the lows are the lowest of lows. I think that's probably not fair. But also, oftentimes when I've been on a roller coaster, I go, 
can we just calm down for a bit? <laughs> and that was my feeling through like, large parts of the show and one particular moment which crystallised it, which we will get to. Um, but I think you're right, just like this... This so bloated this roster, and I know it's been a. a I, th- I think it was quite a lazy thing people said early on of like, oh, you've got a roster, but you want to sign five of the greatest talents that are, fr- are free agents right now. Well, that's too big now. Sorry, Will Bonner, I just and this is not on you. Sorry, but that take at the time was so flawed. Yeah. Because look at the percentage of new wrestlers versus the amount of released ones from WWE alone, ignoring the rest of the wrestler free yeah. market. Like a hundred was it in that first pandemic one, and then another fifty plus in the second round, like. The percentage of actual signed wrestlers is really small compared to the huge... No- I mean, authors of Pain have filled a rubbish card with wrestlers that AEW haven't signed. So even in a percentage game, like that take was dismantled. But the quality control is now becoming a more cogent argument, I think. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Sorry to jump in there. No, no, it's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll dive into it because I feel like these issues and, you know, the praise that we should give this show is going to come up as and when we go through it. So let's start at the beginning of the show. Uh, and the opening match was uh, the men's quarterfinal of the Iron Heart Cup, Samoa Joe versus... The Joker, baby. <laughs> and the Joker was revealed to be Johnny Elite, <sighs> formerly uh, John Morrison of WWE. Um, your reaction to that, first of all, before we actually talk about the match? Such a, I was in such a mood. You called it. It was in your uh, 10, you were saying this morning. Right, okay. I did an article, which you can, it's pointless now. So <laughs> it's out of date, it's irrelevant. Um, I did an article, wrote an article, entitled 10 Wrestlers Who Could Be the Jokers in the Owen Hart Tournament. And um, the last entry was John Morrison. And I wrote something to the effect of the last thing AEW needs is another aged male wrestler who won't come cheap, the very best of which we've already seen. Dot, 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 which is precisely the profile of wrestler that AEW has a weird obsession with. And sure as hell, Johnny Elite arrives out. I think everyone had been expecting Gargano. I don't think it helped that they've got the same first name. I know. If you recall on the preview yesterday, as much as I would in the moment like Cesaro or Johnny Gargano, they'd be a great addition to any roster. Greatly. Except this one, because this one is absolutely far too stacked. Um, And it collides with a core book book and philosophy of Khan's, where he doesn't really want to beat anyone. So if you have too many people who you don't want to beat, you just get this deluge of star versus, oh, this guy's going to be a guy in two or three years. It's like, yeah, I know that, but the result is absolutely not not in doubt. This roster's too stacked. As much as I didn't want a Gargano or Cesaro, I'm spoiled. I didn't want Johnny Elite in a one-shot getting beat either. Um... So maybe I can't be pleased, but my initial feeling was, yes, if Cesaro comes out and Gargano comes out, you're going to get a massive pop, you're going to fantasy book them, all the rest of it. But at the same time, you can see why Tony Khan impulsively signs these talents because it's so exciting. But then, look at Andrade's got no direction. Miro, I know he's been filming a pilot. He's going to struggle to have ideas for him. This roster is too bloated. So if anything, as much as I wasn't happy about Johnny Elite, the fact that he got beat, I was like, oh, phew, that means yeah. it's kind of a one-shot or maybe a tiered deal or whatever. But my initial feeling was I was going to see the Johnny Elite is all elite graphic, and I was going to get sad because that's six weeks of Johnny Elite. And this wasn't the case, but the fact that I was cynical maybe suggests something. Yeah, like, you know, the like think of whatever it is, your favorite example of the old Vince McMahon can't deliver what I was promising, so I've got to give you something better. Whatever you like. Some, angle in the shield. Sorry. Something pops into your head. Uh, yeah, but something pops <laughs> into your head, right? Think of whatever that is. I think this is the inverse of that. 
The whole point, and it, like to his credit, Tony Khan has been super successful with this a lot over the last three years. The whole point of a Joker, a surprise, a lights off or whatever, is that you are a really great room reader. You've taken the temperature and you know exactly who people want because, and they 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 showed how the, their mastery of this with CM Punk, although that was slightly different because they were basically promoting him without promoting him. But the whole point of that is that you have got your finger on the pulse and you know who people might want. And when you promise a surprise, it's supposed to come with a, like maybe a section of your audience that you know are watching might have an idea of it isn't. Like we and many, many others, everybody was encouraged to pitch who we thought it might be. And simply, nobody was really suggesting Johnny Elite. Now, that might not be a knock on his talent. It's just a potential knock on the anticipation for seeing him, right? So the fact that he came out, and I would imagine most people had a certain sense of, huh, got an ice pop in the building. People like seeing people that they're familiar with, of course. But I'd, I, I think, truthfully, he wouldn't have been the top of the majority of people's lists, yeah. right? That reflects that this concept has now failed or Tony Khan hasn't got his finger on the pulse or just AEW not reading the room as well as they used to. Following so soon off lights, off lights on Satnam Singh, it's just suggesting that they're maybe not quite as plugged in as they once were. And that is the opposite of not being able... Like, I would have rather had Samoa Joe versus Johnny Elite advertised than it being kept as a surprise because then I wouldn't have been disappointed. Yeah, You know, if you say, we've got Johnny Elite for the night and he's, he's not all elite, he's not got the graphic, but he might win the Owen. I'd be like, well... He's not my guy, but okay, like let's let's see how this goes. He's sort of done it arse backwards by keeping him as a surprise. Uh, in terms of the match itself, uh, Joe takes control early on, body blocks. Uh, I want to call him Johnny Morrison. Uh, uh, Johnny Elite. Uh, he's trying to, but Johnny Elite's trying to take Joe and keep him off his feet. He hits him with a thrust kick, uh, hits Joe with a lariat, uh, and does this mad. Flip dive off the, the turnbuckle to the outside uh, to take us to break. When we come back, Joe fights back. Joe looks like a monster in there at the moment. Uh, big boot, running senton. Like a senton is such a... I'm sure it sucks to take if you're a wrestler. But Joe makes it look like a genuinely brutal move. Um, and he hits him with a huge chop. Uh, gets some near, near fall off a couple of them. Goes to the muscle buster, but uh, Johnny Elite flips out of it. Samoa drops him. Uh Sort of hits a 450 splash. He's a long way across the ring. Um, so he sort of lands on his knees and then flops That's forward. Johnny. Very average. He hits a shining wizard. Uh, goes for Starship Pain, but Joe gets his knees up and gets him up for the muscle buster. One, two, three. Samoa Joe advances and will face the winner of Ray Phoenix, Kyle O'Reilly a little bit later on in the night. Post-match, immediately as the bell rings, uh, in runs Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt carrying a pipe and, of course, as we mentioned, Satnam Singh and they attack Joe. They beat him up. Um, Singh holds Joe and Lethal clocks him in the shoulder with a pipe and then down come the breast... Be- down come the best friends uh, to make the save. And it's all a little bit clunky there as well because they sort of get in the ring with chairs and Lethal and Dutt and Singh haven't really got out of it. So they have to go, careful, I might hit you with a chair rather than actually swinging for them as they probably should have done. Clunky is the word to describe absolutely all of this. I thought there were times when like uh, Morrison and Joe were on a completely different page. Yep, totally different wavelength. Um Styles clashes can work in pro wrestling because you see something that you couldn't have really manifested until the two men are in the ring. It just didn't come off yeah. here. Joe, Joe's a strange fruit in AEW in general because what exactly are you going to get out of him? I'm not sure if you're ever sure. Like, he clearly can go, but he doesn't 
always seem to be able to exhibit that. So I don't know. Like Joe is no longer a guarantee of a Samoa Joe match of all, and that's fine. Like he's you know in the autumn of his career, but it's just it's it's hard to like promise loads from a Samoa Joe match and then potentially deliver it. You know, I'd say that's a reflection of his record at the moment in terms of quality. So the match wasn't great. They didn't fit well together. And best friends, there is no act with a greater like lower card stench on them than best friends in AEW. Based on the majority of their existence in AEW, and you've just applied a lower card stench to a ring of honor mid card title match you were trying to present as so much more important than it actually is. So perplexing in the extreme to put these acts together, even though I understand that AEW wants its baby faces to have friends. I can support that to the nth degree. Um, but I just didn't think those meshed as acts particularly well together. And like, you are never in a million years, subjective I know, you are never in a million years going to make me care about Jay Lethal and Samojo as much as Tony Khan clearly cares about Jay Lethal and Samojo. None of this worked for me. They're like, again, another inverse, the total opposite of the Dynamite hot opener. I got none of the vibes. Yeah, this just reeked of um, TNA energy at its most desperate. <laughs> and you don't, and the worst thing is, it's like, you don't have to do this. You've established so many new acts who could be realistically in this tournament at the expense of 42-year-old John Morrison, Johnny Elite, Johnny whoever, we've already seen the best of him. We know what he can and can't do, and what he can't do is be a top-level player in this promotion. Yes, yeah, a nice surprise, but on the end of so many surprises, it's just normalised. Surprise? No, I'm not I'm not surprised by this whatsoever. I have to agree with Hamlet. Like There were moments in this match where you could see that... Um, Samoa Joe was revving up to do some kind of lunging attack, and then Morrison was going for a worked punch, and they just kind of got lost for a minute, and it just broke the flow. It just looked like they were not working in harmony to construct a match, and it just broke the spell of immersion. Um, what's weird here, and I'm going to put over Morrison, is that he's never been known as a guy who can make people's offense look like death. He kind of did at points when they were on the same page. Mm. He did one really nice ankle pick that looked like he looked like a wrestler and not just a... Um, uneven gymnast, which he can sometimes look to be, and he looked like a not particularly great high-flying wrestler at least twice. Um, there was one uh, spot, and it was mostly on Joe who didn't catch him, and then the 450, as you mentioned, he did that thing where, have you ever seen the, the, the footage of Scott Steiner operating at such a wavelength ahead of anybody else that he debuts the 450 and um, before like pretty much anyone? And because it's just so futuristic that he can't do it, and he kind of does the thing where he lands a foot in front of the opponent, and then just kind of eh, yeah. flops over. Like they still go banana because it's just like what was that? Yeah, like, he's still in his trunks, isn't he? He's a young guy. He's jacked, and flipping. You, like, and you'd think like thirty years after that, <laughs> people would have nailed it, and people have, but yeah. Johnny Elite hasn't. So it looked a little bit off. Um, his starship pain never looks like it hurts. It's just he's not my kind of wrestler. Mm. But to be fair, a lot of people went crazy for him in the building. Um, if this was his trial run to see if he's worth a shot, I would say that he's failed and he's not at the level and um, that this company should be at more often than it is. The Hardys are backstage. Uh, Jeff is just covered in tape uh, as a result of his match with Darby Allen last week, unsurprisingly. Um, and they're cutting a promo ahead of the main event with, with Adam Cole, of course, and in come the Young Bucks and uh, pretend to offer a little bit of concern before suggesting maybe you should just take the night off, let Adam Cole get a bye sort of thing. Um, Matt fires back at them, calling them hardy cosplayers and says, like, if you interfere, Adam Cole's not going to be the only one to get his ass kicked. Uh, and then we got AEW champion Hangman Page versus Mr. Soup Takeshita. 
Kanosuke Takeshita. So, but I'm so, so I will try and learn this name. I'm just so bad at pronouncing it. But I tell you what, if there's a reason to learn it, my God, was it this match? Uh, CM Punk was on commentary for it uh, and did a great job of, as always, putting over his opponent at the pape. While it's also saying, yeah, he's good, but you know, I'm better. Um, including when he, hit, spoiler alert, he hit the GTS and he went. Exactly where I want him, baby. <laughs> um, so they go straight after each other. Um, Page hits a fallaway slam and a springboard clothesline. Takeshita. All right. Kanosuke Takeshita. I'm just going for the surname here. Yeah. Takeshita. Takeshita. There we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, he comes back. Arguably looks a little bit better with what he uh, hits Hangman Page with. Um, but Page cuts him off uh, as he goes for a springboard and chops him. And then they fight on the apron and Page manages to hit him with a back suplex on there. The Orihara Moonsault takes us to the break. When we come back, Takeshita hits a flying clothesline and a blue thunderbomb. Uh, and they reference El Generico. That gets him a two count. Uh, big tope to the outside. Uh, which looked great as well. Uh, they, they exchanges, they exchange boots in the corner, exchange Germans, double clotheslines, um, and they both go down. Page is the first one to, to get back up and, and fire some offense, and discus forearm into a sort of tombstone pile driver uh, gets him a near fall as well. Sets up the bookshop, has a little moment to look at CM Punk, and that costs him to get to avoids it. Forearm to the face, uh, hits him with a power bomb. Uh, just great stuff here. I fell in love with, with Takeshita in this in this match. Uh, he hits the running knee uh, for a near fall. There's, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I've never seen it before. I must have. But Takeshita, his stalling German is wonderful to watch. Um, it's I, I, I love as I am to compare. It's like Riddle does a really great one of mm. those. And when you drop that in, in like the, what is obviously the, the final flourish of a match, it just feels so much more dangerous because it almost feels a little bit exhausted as they're arching mm. over. And it's I it's I love seeing that yeah. used because it just looks like this incredible feat of strength. It doesn't look cooperative, does it? Even no. though it kind of has to be. Yeah. Right. And a great story told here as well because Paige had been attacking the neck and as a result of that, Takeshita couldn't hold the bridge in the uh, German suplex. He goes for the jumping knee. Paige counters it, uh, flying uh, clothesline, forearm, uh, no, so he counters a flying flying clothesline into a forearm, takes him up to the top rope. Takeshita hits this diving clothesline. They all go everywhere. Uh, but Page, Page pops up, Lariat, bookshot, and uh, as we suggested on the preview yesterday, that's not enough. He hits him with a GTS, one, two, three, and then post-match, Sige, both men stare each other down as they are, well, just over a week and a half away, oh, about a week and a half away from the paper. I Absolutely loved this. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. I liked everything about the match itself. I liked everything on commentary. I'm still not under the belief that this feud is it in terms of selling a pay-per-view and being as big as it possibly could be. But this went some way towards changing my perception of this entire build. I like the idea of putting Paige in there in a mirror match which rarely come off, but this one did. It was fantastic against this incredibly explosive guy who's probably a little bit bigger. He might even have a better snap. Good snap. Catch <laughs> <Just a> snap. <laughs> would embarrass Triple H. As he's what, if he, what if he didn't have that snap? What would happen in a match if Triple H saw you not having that snap? Pop you in the well, Oh, yeah. <laughs> to catch the one of your nuts is hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved the idea of these two going at it because as good as Paige can be, being this raw, explosive powerhouse of a guy, bettering a fellow explosive powerhouse of a guy, CM Punk, making my least favorite thing good because he's a genius. So yeah, it's all well and good that he can go hell for leather in this bomb blast of a match, but you know, kind of in his head, I'm making him do things that 
he shouldn't be doing because I've got a counter. The word Ren Free. I was about to say, he's, he's applying <laughs> Ren Free. He's applying Ren Free and he's good at it because CM Punk's an absolute <laughs> genius. Tell you what I did appreciate as well from Punk, him justifying why they're having this match. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Because it is a good point. Like, why would you have this brutal mm. match a week and a half away from a title defense? Yeah. Like, Punk's absolutely exceptional in commentary, almost to the point where you want him to retire just so he can be great <laughs> yes. at it. I want him to run Ring of Honor because he can tell a story. He can call it. He's the best in the ring on that microphone, etc. The match itself, just fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Fabulous. The timing of the sequences in terms of when to extract the maximum reaction was great. The no selling, the head drops, just the collision detection of the dives. Mm. Mean Hamflers, we're probably speaking for a lot of people here, fell in love with wrestling because you see two mammoth, colossal units just popping off the screen, looking so visually impressive and having a fight is the best thing. Then as you mature and evolve, you look at more technical, smaller guys who are great at the craft. And then you put those two things together, the childlike wonder and the discerning, I actually really like wrestling. You put them together and you get this match. It was just a spectacle it's a great TV match. Perfect introduction to get Takeshita over. Mm-hmm. Um, this is absolutely fabulous television professional wrestling. Like, a really smart match to book on TV because you get people really enjoying Paige again. You get Takeshita over. One guy goes over. One mm. guy um, gets over. The Paul Heyman philosophy. Yeah. And it's not just this studious TV match. It just feels like this... Deeply felt spectacle at which I was astonished, amazed, really into. Like, you know, the UFC fan gif <laughs> where he's got like just got, bleed. Like, just bleed. <laughs> I was like that yeah, watching I was, this. I was fired up watching this this morning. Uh, Hamlet, were you DJ Pied Piper? Loving it, loving it, loving it, loving it like that? Yes. <laughs> Is that because I put that on that playlist that you were listening to? It's because he said loving it, loving it, and it's on the playlist. All right, that's fair enough. I can only echo everything my esteemed colleague has said there. Um, Thank you very much. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's brilliant that Hangman Page cut that specific promo last week. I've mentioned this on a podcast before with his TV matches. Nobody does a better masturbatory Bret Hart match than Hangman Page. Mm -hmm. Forget your CM Punk and like FTR kind of on-the-nose references. Hangman Page is the world champion that Bret Hart was in terms of his television matches. I think I like them more than when he's like building up to a big match or there's a big rivalry or something. Mm-hmm. I want to see. Like I'm, like, I'm rooting for Punk. I am rooting for Punk. In my mind, he is the AEW world champion elect. You just, it's, it's a feeling. And certainly in the in the face off when like a cowboy's getting booed in Texas in favor of this straight edge guy that's like pro abortion slapped across his t shirt. Oh, I love that. Like the audience is, is speaking, and I don't know if there's going to be... Like, Tony Khan will book that belt years and years and years in advance, as well we know. But if he was booking Hangman Page to win, I wonder if this is the first time he has to veer from that and just make the call. Like, it feels like CM Punk is the guy that has to wear this belt otherwise. Maybe not. Maybe I'm speaking way out of turn and they've got something super cool planned for us. But I feel increasingly like Page will feel like a paper champion if he holds the belt over, uh, over Punk in this match. Who knows? But anyway... Page in these types of matches is the Hangman Page World Champion I love. The other week, Cedric invoked the uh, Saturday Night's Main Event match with Brett and Papa Shango. Um, everyone, rightfully so, has since gone back and loved the 1-2-3 t kid match. Like, I'm partial to Brett versus Virgil from a TV ma- uh, Just a TV match it was really, really great. Superstars. For- Superstars. Virgil had never felt like such a contender as he did against Hitman. And this is what... Virgil! Page- <laughs> I know. This is what Page <laughs> does in these matches. What was the one a few weeks back? Uh, Dante Martin. Dante Martin. Oh, my God. Like, Paige is incredible in these matches at somehow remaining, like, you've got to be this talismanic steward-like figure, you know, um, as the world heavyweight champion. And yet, it is also kind of your job, IRL, to make the guy you're in there with look 
like a contender, look like a challenger. So you've got to cut off, you've got to cut off. And then you've got to like, you've got to show ass in this very specific and quite scientific way towards the end, especially when like the kind of, like I know some people would have really enjoyed the Jay Lethal match, but they kind of blew it with Takeshi the first time out because he didn't, you didn't come away feeling like he was this person to care about. No. Like there wasn't much, co- there was loads of conversation in the moment. The match was of, a, of, a, of an absolute quality, but it wasn't after the fact. The, the chats won't be being had about Takeshi that they will be now. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's not just because of the disparity between Dynamite and Rampage either. That's absolutely because of Hangman Page's craft, because of the way this match was agented. The, um, one of the Takeshi forearms in particular just got like a Yelp pop from me. I was so into it. Like unleashing that last ride when he did with the thud that Hangman Page hit that canvas. And Punk watching, commentating as he did with a little bit of glee at seeing like Page's ego get the better of him just a little bit in a match when like so close to their title match was perfect. Couldn't have loved any of this anymore. I'm a little higher on Page and Punk than Sidgwick, but I do understand the concerns. Uh, and yet, I think I think they're still on the right line of um, ultra competitive title fight. Pro wrestling is sometimes so brilliant at being pro wrestling in terms of drama and like theatrics. I don't want to say pantomime, but theatrics that sometimes like a prize fight does just need to be a fight over a prize. And if nothing else, that is definitely what Punk and Page mm. is like. They both believe they're the best. They both want the belt, and I don't think. I don't think they've ever lost sight of that, even though they might have lost sight of why Hangman Page was really pissed off with CM Punk that week. They've definitely lost sight of that. Yeah. But these two men want the belt, and that's ultimately what it should always be about. Uh, after that, Fuego Del Sol was a dumbass. He, uh, yeah. he decided to call out the House of Black. Uh, <laughs> he's going to even the odds. The Dark Order were there at his back. Uh, they're going to battle on Rampage. And yeah, Fuego Del Sol, we're going to talk about this tomorrow, Sige. He's going to get destroyed again. I can't wait. <laughs> he is. I'll preview it tomorrow, but I will analyze one of the lines here because I was just like, what are you talking about, man? Like, what are you talking about? Rampage, we're going to settle this once and for all. <laughs> I, I'd literally forgotten this existed. <laughs> I like everyone involved a bit, to varying extents, but, oh my God, once and for all. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> Don't watch the NBA, guys. It's all versus House of Blacks can get settled once and for all on, front, on Rampage. I like, think, come on, give over. I think this is where... Give the, over. There's a, there's a lot of cases in AEW where, like... The stars, the obvious winners versus obvious losers formula is just exposed to too many of these type of promos because they build to everything, even when they don't need to. Let's just let this match be a graphic. Like, you look at the graphic, there's the winners, there's the losers. Maybe the match itself will be entertaining. doesn't need this. Death Triangle's going to probably get involved or show up afterwards. Aye. Yeah. Like, it's none of this is believable. So, yeah, that once and for all line from Sidgwick, and as well, it's like, uh, like House of Black, I've realised that like I need some help. So I've got some other losers that don't stand a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. None, of, none of this is credible, you know, and it's just, just show me the graphic and let they me... they don't work, we can get the security from AW <laughs> yeah, to come just, and help us. Like, let me put the pieces together of how obvious a result this is going to be before we get to the obvious pay-per-view mm. build, because like a, a promo like this kind of makes a mockery of the wrestlers and the process. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Speaking of which, we got a very straightforward squash match <laughs> following that. It was uh, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland uh, versus, <laughs> the, I've missed this, the work also, it's not been on for ages, uh, J.D. Drake and Anthony Henry, and yes, it was uh, an unsurprising short squash uh, to establish them as uh, tag team comp- uh, challengers uh, for the titles. Uh, Lee chops Drake early on because Drake's mocking his, basking his glory hand movements. Uh, Swerve and Henry come in, Swerve hits him with a nice kick, uh, then Lee comes in, does this mad... With slingshot crossbody, pounces Henry, uh, and then they hit this like double stomp assisted power bomb double team finisher of theirs to get the one through two three. And post match, Keith Lee gets on the mic and he says, "Greetings, Texas." <laughs> he says, "Texas, <laughs> my state. I have some wonderful news. News that will." Fill your lines with joy. Right. He says it turns out with that victory, the realist Swerve Strickland and myself, yours truly, the limitless Keith Lee, have now become a top five ranked tag team. And with that news, I do believe, and he's then cut off uh, by uh, Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks from Team Taz coming out. Ricky Starks calls him Rex from Toy Story. <laughs> Dead. Uh, he calls them selfish jabronis, said it's ridiculous that they think that they deserve a title shot ahead of them too. Insane, he even says. Uh, and Swerve says about him dressing like a bar of soap with a pearl necklace on. <laughs> I will die on this hill. Ricky Starks is the only man who can pull off a pearl necklace in the world, in my opinion. Uh, but Fantastic yes. line, though. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Swerve says it's disrespectful to the game, talks about Southern hospitality, uh, but before they can even get into it anymore, Jurassic Express come out uh, with Booker Christian Cage, apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Christian talks about how Starks now thinks that he can now fight for a real championship. Jurassic Express are the tag team champions. They're the best, though, uh, and they challenge both of of the teams to a tag team titles triple threat three-way three-way at double or nothing not only that but we're getting another three-way uh, <laughs> next week jungle boy swerve and ricky stogs what a mouth-watering prospect that was but i sense yeah you're probably annoyed at christian doing tony khan's job for him here oh, i was annoyed by a lot of things here not the match Great little squash. Great. He Great. really has fallen in love with black and gold NXT, hasn't he? Yeah, he he's, he's really like upped his network subscription. You know what? I was really busy in 2019. I was going to see what's going on on the network. Like this, the real squash. I, 
know why it was there. Keith Lee's from Texas, and they've won matches on dark and elevation, just in the background as these things tend to go. And then it's like, oh, we'd be two uh, guys who are completely stigmatized as scrubs. That means we're championship contenders. <laughs> it's the age-old thing that why go with that much effort for so f- so for the people to go, oh, huh? in the top five. Right, I will say that they have taken the pace, right, in a way that is a little bit, they treat your intelligence with a modicum of respect. Because if you're going down the line now <laughs> of... Jurassic Express, their whole deal since they won the belts is that they've said top ranked team, top five ranked team. We only want the best. You're a top five ranked team, even if you know you just have to beat some scrubs on elevation <laughs> to get there. If you are a top five ranked team, we will be fighting champions. And that's been a little motif throughout their run, which I've appreciated. They clearly don't see them on the level of Page and Omega in the books to really carry a substantial storyline. Intricate web of intrigue. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they've established something that I can cling on to. Is, yeah, you've applied a little bit of thought to this, and it's all consistent with the idea of the fighting champions. It's a bit bloody bland, all of this, but there's a continuity throughout mm. that I don't hate. It's a second three-way, which makes you think that they don't trust them really mm. to do something really weighty and substantial and I important. Mean, like something that's probably going to sell the top end of a pay-per-view, like the World Tag Team title used to do. Not anymore. Bit sad about that. Christian Cage is a book because it's ridiculous. <laughs> Who's number one ranked? Who's number two? Because if they're going to do a three-way, Tony Khan should book one and two versus the champions. Not like, I don't know, four and three. I don't know who... They don't nah, put the rankings nah, up there. Weekly consecutive battle royals. Yes, that <laughs> as well. So a promo train, a three-way tag team, a wrestler doing the booking, and then you get a preview of the tag team match by representatives of each team having a match... It's so painfully WWE, mm-hmm. except they haven't done this three-way to death and Christian Cage's banter and the crowd actually are into it. <laughs> and I do like the top five ranked team thread that they've sort of put through the thing. It's so WWE. I was just actively like, piss off watching this. Like, piss off, get some discipline, put a moratorium on signing people. Have, have a bloody month off AEW. I'd bloody love that. <laughs> I, bl- I love it if wrestling had a month off. Imagine if wrestling had a month off. You wouldn't get stuff like this. You would have anticipation station of, right, okay, who can take that month and build the most interest in the matches? Like, would it be like an even Steven sort of 0-0 Raw, uh, Raw versus Dynamite? Yeah. Or like, what what month win? would it be? April? Like, do Mania and then stop? Yeah. And then build to double Because like, yeah. It's never going to happen. It's no, just, it's, it's just, I'd like it to because this sort of thing wouldn't happen because you wouldn't have Booker burnout. It's interesting, actually, that AEW, and understand it at the time, you know, you launch double or nothing, you intentionally avoid WrestleMania weekend and say, no, that's not what we're about. And in fact, we'll wait for all the dust to settle and then we'll do double or nothing 2019 when this is going to be ours. But it's interesting now, three years in, that, like, following, because we've had, like, no proper example of this, because this is the first time Double Other Things has been back in Vegas since the debut because of the pandemic. This is the first case of, kind of, AW eating a bit over that choice that they made in 2019, because turns out WrestleMania weekend was a big overload of wrestling, and people maybe haven't yet recovered from all of that, and this is too soon to be asking people to be, get fired up! Like, it, and 
any AEW fan that is exclusively AEW won't have felt that burnout from WrestleMania week, and they'll just be hyped for this big temple event. But for the wrestling populace, which I think AEW does serve, maybe there's a bit of that. Maybe for the first time they're having to face the exhaustion because this was a quote-unquote traditional WrestleMania weekend, 50 million indie shows across every version of wrestling you could want to watch. Um, some of WWE was even good, so that wouldn't have helped them either. And maybe now they're kind of having to suffer that a little bit. You know, I know that doesn't particularly relate to like this tag team title match, but it's just a thought I had there. When even like Sidgwick and we discussed in the office that idea of like how do you pull yourself out of the burnout? Well, you can't really. It's just it's an emotional thing, is it? You're gonna feel it when you're gonna feel it. A match is gonna pull you out or whatever, and it's on them now every year to potentially have to mm. to, to help people out of that that period of burnout. It's and and, and this stuff. Well, I'm way more tolerant to WWE nonsense than you, Sidgwick, but I like I still felt a little bit. I feel a little bit exhausted by the Jurassic Express title run. I'm kind of clinging on for the ending being related to the Christian Cage Jungle Boy split more than I am anything they're doing with the belt. I think, I think Jungle Boy loses the triple threat next week. Just jump ahead to our preview. Like we've said, like they've found quite in to their credit, they've found quite creative ways of making Jungle Boy be a, a multi-time loser without discrediting the tag yes. team champions. I think that's been quite impressive. It's been important to the story they're telling, and it's not discredited them as champions. I just. Don't think AEW have ever kind of given them the back end as champions that they might have done other teams, and and to be fair, I'm interested in both Team Taz or oh. or Swerve and Lee becoming champions. Yeah. So the prospect of them losing to send them on the way with Jungle Boy and Cage isn't just for that. I quite like whichever outcome we get as a result as well. So not all bad. Mm. And interestingly enough, Ricky Starks is so handsome. Christian might as well have a blue dot on his face because I didn't notice him. <laughs> God. Anyway, uh, right, Chris Statlander, Red Velvet, they're backstage uh, building up their match, of course, in the Owen Hart Cup, which goes down on Rampage. Rampage, baby. Thank you. Um, talk about not being friends anymore. Velvet says, you know, she's a baddie, you know, all that entails. She's here to win the tournament. Uh, Statlander says it's strictly business. And then in comes Jade Cargill and Kira Hogan uh, saying, basically, I'm a real leader, not, not like you. And then she walks off and tells Tony... Well, what he can cut, basically. <laughs> then it was time for Piggy to get his... Uh, Wardlow to get his lashes, sorry. Uh, MJF, co- MJF comes out, does his usual shtick running down the location. He can barely get the name of it out of his mouth. Uh, but he reminds Wardlow that if he retaliates in any way during the lashings, then uh, Wardlow was going to get no match and no contract with AEW. It seems like Max as well had prepared for the lashing in case it had twin turned on him by putting about six layers of fake tan on, but still. Uh, <laughs> Wardlow is revealed wonderfully flanked by security, no shirt, cuffs. I mean, it was, it, someone said it on the news. It's, you know, Goldberg-esque, obviously. He walks down to the ring. Um, the, the crowd are chanting for him and MJF gozzers in his face. And Wardlow simply stands there and goes, right, let's get on with it. And MGF, as he did, I watched the Cody thing yesterday to get me in the mood for it. He gets all excited, he gets riled up, and he winds back, and he smashes the, the belt off Wardlow's back. And Wardlow just starts laughing, <laughs> and he shrugs it off. He feels no pain, and MGF does this several times, um, and uh, eventually just snapped after about three slashes. He just starts wailing on him, yelling at him. I, I hate you. I know it hurts. <laughs> Wardlow just stands there. He's got the, the, you know, similar red marks, not quite as bad as the ones that, that Cody was wearing, but they are the welts are showing, but Wardlow is just unmoving. Um, a bit like we saw the same, same spot in the, the Cody lashing Spears takes the belt and, and does a, does, does a few actually for himself. Um, Wardlow fires up, gets in MGF's face and reminds him, 
This is it. This is your last one. And then I've cleared this hurdle, and then it's the steel cage match, and then I finally get my hands on you. Uh, MGF really, you know, he's taking his jacket off. He's really wound up for the 10th shot. But instead, he kicks him in the bollocks, whips him about 10 more times, uh, chokes him, um, Spears restrains him. Um, he uh, loads, steps back, loads up that beautiful diamond ring, lays out Wardlow with it. Spears hits him with a C4, covers him, and MGF counts one, two, three, possibly mirroring next week's results. Um, very different to that. I watched it again last night, as I said. Very different to this Cody segment, but in all the right ways, Sige. Absolutely. Someone's done a video, and if I remember, I'll post it under the Twitter link to this podcast of um, the Virgin Cody versus the Chad Wardlow. <laughs> it's like a comparison, a comparison between the two. Where like Cody's like, oh. you know, like he's, he's selling it. It's a different vibe, a different tone. I'm taking the piss. It was really awesome, of course. And Wardlow's just uh, stood there. Look, I'll hand over the victory lap. I am a bit gutted because I did kind of think the same thing was going to happen. <laughs> I did think he was going to sell it. I didn't get that. Well, you can describe how you predicted this correctly, and I'm going to tell you the one thing, you idiot, that you missed out <laughs> on. God, I'd even said it to be honest. Yeah, the, it was, I, I liked MJF losing his patience with it, and then he booked that. Yeah, well, like it's just it's uh, to me it was a, like Cedric pointed this out yesterday. It's weird, but good that MJF set so many stipulations. Then, despite being a massive prick, honors them. There's like it's it's it's, it's strange. I also liked it. him saying, "I know it hurts," and I was like, "How do you know it hurts, Maxwell?" But you earn him like not doing it here. Like all of those times he has like through gritted teeth, honoured what he said he's going to do. Him not doing that in this specific one, at lashing number nine, wasn't it, when he kicked him in the ball? Like, perfect. Yeah. He's taken as much as he can under his own rules, and then he breaks his own rules just to try and break Wardlow. So, but I did, I love that, like, the idea that he knows sells, and then MJF, bang, 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 like, he's just really furious. It was, it just, it's because I wanted something from the segment to keep MJF's, like, petulant side in balance with his manipulative and cruel one because some of the fun of all this has been like Wardlow going just ape in the ring and then it'll cut to the ramp where MJF is like this like scared furious pissy little like he's st you can see the monsters there within him but he's still just kind of throwing a tantrum and he's such a good performer that he balances that as well so I, just, I, I knew that would get the best of him in this sort of segment Spears in particular as well this was this was far from the best bit of business in this Wardlow MJF feud, but it was just as crucial as all the rest because every single week uh, they add, like, Wardlow's like a top trumps card at the moment. And it's <laughs> like, how high can you get all those numbers before you finally separate him and make him a single star? And each week it's the job of, and they, they just seem, the booking's been almost impeccable. It's the job of, like, Tony Khan and Wardlow and MJF to get those numbers as high as you can in, in every single category. You can't just be anymore that he's giant. It can't just be that, oh, he's actually got these moves in his arsenal. It can't just be that he's quite charming or funny. or what. It's, it's got to be all at once because that's like how star making works when you're taking somebody kind of from the ground up with Wardlow, you know, from he's in, as good as an AEW original, really, isn't he, in terms of mainstream figures. And I just thought this was another, like, perfect week in building all those mm -hmm. statistics. It's going to be things that we're going to reflect on for video packages, for memories and all that kind of thing. And Wardlow continues to... Uh, to own it as well, it's like it's it's not easy, but he kind of he makes it look effortless. Mm. Pissing all of this charisma cannot be an easy task, and yet he does it every single week. 
It's time to get the heat. It was time to get the heat yeah. on him. It's been really, really, really fun watching him just kind of no-sell security guards and just break their backs on the apron with power bombs. And like they've done such a great job of establishing him as this like sort of mythical figure who just happens to live on our plane. <laughs> um, but, you know, there is... It's pro wrestling. There are rhythms to it. There are principles to which you must adhere. And it was time for him to get, like, just outwitted and smashed in the face. So that was all very good. Hamflet booked this. He booked it very well. Mm-hmm. Just the, the no-selling and the smile on his face was great. And the fact that MGF getting petulant and all the rest of it, it's all been sort of orchestrated so br- brilliantly. The only thing that he didn't get right was during it, he's going to have to pop those muscle tits. <laughs> and he did. He did. That was the best thing about it. Yeah, it's going to make my tits dance. <laughs> <laughs> Just sell them. Tightest tits in the game? Tightest tits in the game. If it wasn't for this program... Honestly, like I'd be so low on AEW right now because this is the only one-on-one singles program that has the level of detail, the level of emotional investment, the 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 pure thrill of watching it every week, watching it get better and better, securing the knowledge that they have written the last chapter and I can't see it yet, and there's that's been entirely lacking in AEW for me since Revolution. I. I I think I mentioned this like weeks and weeks and weeks before the eventual match. One of my favorite things before it even happened about Punk and MJF was going to be eventually when Punk and Wardlow had their moment of mm-hmm. like silent. That's like one of the coolest things in wrestling that like it's easy to forget about because you're supposed to get excited about the fight. Sometimes mutual respect's just like as hot as it gets in pro wrestling. Um, Wardlow handcuffed, low blowed, and being destroyed by the most loathsome creatures in all of AEW. Mm. Uh, and the detail that they've peppered in of him still not having mates is like kind of low-key my favorite thing about all of this. They mentioned that so early on in this story and reminded you why he's got no friends, right? He's, he's going to get a friend eventually. But could there have been a more sympathetic figure who, like anybody in that locker everybody hates MJF in the locker room. Tony Schiavone hates him. Referees want Cody to get one free. Everybody hates And Sean Spears is this awful little toady. You kind of hate just as much. <laughs> and the man's in handcuffs and he's been kicked in the dick. And it's like, not yet. Like, still not got one single person to help him. There's only maybe Punk, and we know he's got his eyes elsewhere at the moment. That's that's so great, because he's going to have to do this on his own, and there will come a day where Wardlow's going to have people with him. But to be in that position and not have a single friend is is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant, because everybody in the building's is mate. And, like, we'll all collectively help him in the end, and it's wonderful stuff. Yeah. Sorry to ruin the mood slightly, but next, Rapongi Vice were backstage. Uh, Trent says they're back together, back full time, and they're coming for, for all the tag titles. The Ring of Honor <laughs> tag titles starting off. Uh, IWGP, New Japan, Heavyweight, you know, all them. AEW as well. And uh, Trent challenges FT off to a match and says you should accept it because uh, we all know Brett Wood. I know you want so- you got to say about something. So you got something to say about this, Hamlet. Good, good one. I was going to mention Brett. I don't care about every single match, so stop giving me builds to them. I don't believe that Rapongi Vice are going to win the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships because why the f- would I? So don't waste valuable TV time. And this is the week of all weeks to say you're wasting TV time with build-ups like this. There was others earlier on in the show. The last 45 minutes of the show was a train wreck as a result. You are wasting time adding builds to matches that do not need it. Show me 
Rapongi Vice are going to challenge FTR because we think that is going to be a good match. And I'll go, as a wrestling fan, yes, I too think that might be a good match. Do not patronise and lie to me with nonsense like this, pretending that I'm supposed to, like, don't sell me on a title change or on a reason for this to be. Just have the wrestling company book wrestling matches Fixtures. with the wrestlers. Fixtures. Yeah. I love the idea of fixtures. They don't need to be because if it is an emulation of a sport, there would just be sporting fixtures as a default. This is conspiratorial in the extreme, but there was something about Trent's delivery here and the Brett stuff. Is there a contingent of the locker room? Who's like, Jesus oh Christ, I'm sick of them talking about Brett pretty hard. <laughs> Maybe. Mm. Yeah, it's conspiratorial, but yeah. yeah. Just like, it's not a red flag, nor was Tomohiro Ishii versus Adam Cole, but I am, it, I, I'm dampening my own hype for Forbidden Door until I see evidence that they can go balls out exciting match combos because so far everything is so politically neat and tidy and I, I understand completely why by the way mm. oh yeah everything is so politically neat and tidy it's tempered my expectations slightly for how wild they want to go with Forbidden Door as a pay-per-view I, go hope, nuts. I hope after doubling I don't like saying this after double or nothing is out of the way <laughs> I, hope, I hope they start indulging because this is like the opposite of what I would want from it I don't want to see a series of compromises mm. Right, Sage, time to talk about it. Ray Phoenix versus Kyle O'Reilly, the Owen Hart Cup uh, quarterfinal match. My God, did I love this match. Uh, it was everything uh, you guys called it was going to be on the preview yesterday. Back and forth stuff, of course, and, uh, you know, they are all both excelling very different areas in the ring. Um, kick sends O'Reilly out to the floor early on, uh, and uh, Phoenix takes him out with this just mint flip dive, like... It just, it just reminded me again why I've missed him for, for, for so long. I know I've seen him recently, but you know what I mean. In, in singles action, it's been a while for me. Uh, goes for a frog splash, but O'Reilly brilliantly reverses it into a triangle and then a cross-arm breaker. and forces Phoenix to roll to the ropes to get a break, and he starts targeting that arm of his. He drives it into the ring post. He takes it out throughout the ad break. When we come back... Phoenix fires back up, uh, hits him with chops, goes for that like rebound hook kick, hook kick that he does. But his arm that's been targeted, <sighs> what a spot, gives out sensationally. Yeah, um, he uh, does recover though to hit a springboard thrust kick though, and a modified power bomb gets him a two, a hurricane run, a rolling hurricane run, gets him a two as well. Uh, but O'Reilly turns an escalera into uh, spinning butterfly suplexes. He uh, gets rushed in the corner by Phoenix. Strikes, springboard thrust kick as a half-and-half half suplex. Both men uh, hit those rebound moves of theirs that they, they excel at. Uh, simultaneous slaps, double down. Uh, O'Reilly goes for that double wrist lock, uh, but then uh, Phoenix gets out of it and huge strikes again. Uh, top rope Hurricane Rana to the floor from Ray Phoenix. He goes... After sprinting across the top rope. <laughs> yes. Uh, he uh, goes for that rolling cut of his, but again, sensational stuff here. O'Reilly turns it into a cross-arm breaker, and it's just... I'm flashbacks to, to UFC of my, my love of MMA. The struggle to just separate Phoenix's fingers and the moment that he does, Ray Phoenix has no choice but to submit, and it will be Kyle O'Reilly... Versus Samoa Joe. Not the best time to have an injured shoulder when you <laughs> face Kyle O'Reilly in the semi-finals. Michael Sidgwick, the floor is yours. Yeah, I thought I thought this was absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Um, what I loved about it as well is that I don't usually watch a Ray Phoenix match to watch like some like prolonged, consistent limb selling. It's <laughs> not what I want out of Ray Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. And yet this Ray Phoenix had match had some really prolonged 
consistent limb selling throughout that I thought was just beautifully done. The spot you highlighted was great where he couldn't do his usual rebound because his arm was um, absolutely killing him. But throughout, even if he wasn't doing the old very easy wrestling trick of, oh, uh, yeah, it's that. Yeah. Didn't go for three electric chairs either. Smart stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he just left it dangling at his side and was favouring the other arm. Like, there was such a subtlety to Ray Phoenix's work here that I just thought was amazing because you got the very best of Ray Phoenix's fireworks elsewhere, like running across the top rope and then landing like an off the apron flying Hurricane Rana. It was just. Absolutely beautiful. Like, absolutely beautiful. And there was one bit, I'll tell you now, that I wasn't a big fan of. It was when they were both doing the wacky line hmm. bit. Rebound stuff, yeah. Like the dual drop down, I thought that was a little bit wonky and a little bit too much. But then otherwise, in terms of complementary styles, we knew this was going to be a styles clash, but the best possible version of it. But there was an equal amount of substance to the work here that I just was spellbound by. This is genuinely great. The best Kyle O'Reilly's looked in AEW so far. Um, that note taking worked from Rampage. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Like, and I got proud of myself, and I'll tell you why. Like, you know, when Excalibur is so great at commentary that when he points something out to you, you're like, all right, okay, that's really sort of intricate craft stuff that I didn't quite catch. I loved Kyle O'Reilly, just immediately realized I'm on the wrong arm here, but that was the easiest way to get into this hold. Quick transition. As a, that is great because the position he was at in the ring, man, it would look contrived if you had a stepped around. So he worked his way through it. I sort of got there before Excalibur. <laughs> I was really chuffed with that. Another just lush little moment. Kyle O'Reilly doing a leg sweep and Phoenix making it look deadly by because he's so great and his timing's so wonderful and he's such a great athlete. Jumping the nanosecond before the sweep was going to get him and then just hopping. This was mint. Like your semi-regular reminder from Wilborn and the Dadleys that contrast matches are better than mirror matches. Yes. And like there was a really good mirror match on this show, but contrast matches fundamentally are better than mirror matches for reasons like this. Ray, um, Ray Phoenix, having like even selling injury, having just the instincts to be like, this is how I do it. This is how I win matches. This is what I do. And Kyle O'Reilly's one tactic to be the bear trap. Every single time to be the bear. I, I couldn't have loved this more. For like, I didn't think this was the peak of what these two could do together. Oh, this was a very, very good match that like only just bordered on great when they've clearly got great in them. And if anything, I like credit to them. I guess they're showing maybe a bit of discipline on television. It, they were they had their instructions to follow. This was a tournament match that was going to go one way. But I just I completely believed, as you said about the, the note taking, did matter. Mm -hmm. Like I completely believe that Kyle O'Reilly was this like bear trap, that, uh, like a giant crocodile's mouth that was there to like swallow Ray Phoenix every single time he jumped at him, and Ray Phoenix dodges at that time and thinks, "Well, what do I do? I jump at him again." Like they, like he uses his like this is a perfect complement of the two wrestlers using their primary skill sets to try and beat the other one. It's such an awful take when you see something that Phoenix does that is spectacular in a match like this because they are using their best weapons against the other. You know, Arsene Wenger would complain about teams playing against Arsenal and parking the bus when they were at their attacking peak. But what else were you supposed to I do know. in your effort to beat them? You know, and this this was absolutely that. Kyle O'Reilly was trying to park the bus against the attacking player of Ray Phoenix. And sure enough, it worked on the day. I just, I love that and psychology. Ray Phoenix is not going to, like, turn into Carl Gotch. No. Midway through the match. <laughs> right, yeah, I, right, right, I need to get on the ground with him here. Look, of course he's not. He's going to go higher. He's Some of his groundwork was really good early. Yes. So I, we're not taking the mic. We're just no, saying no, no. that he's got a particular skill at which he's one of the world's best. So, of course, he's going to do that throughout. You can do six flips and it be extremely psychologically sound 
And that was a great example of that in this match. Uh, let me just check. Yep, shoot season is still definitely open because next up it was time for the face-to-face between Chris Jericho and William Regal in the ring. It is the Blackpool Combat Club, uh, joined, of course, by Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz. Outcome the Jericho Appreciation Society, whose entrance music still pops me. <laughs> Not just the Judas bit. The voiceover at the start, obviously. Or it's entertainers. And Angelo Parker yells, no, 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 no. You don't get to sing this anymore. Because Judas is it's one of those things where you're like, well, you still got Judas because everyone loves singing that and you're meant to be bad guys. And he even gets, stop the pyro! <laughs> the pyro starts going off. Um... Uh, so Jericho talks about last week's attack and says, oh, there's only one man that could have been behind that, and that is you, William Regal. And he talked about Regal and his their, their, their history and talked about his wasted potential. He says, you could have been one of the greatest of all time, but all you ended up was as a world-class addict. And then he starts tearing down each person that's in the ring. Uh, Santana and Ortiz, they're too stupid to realize that everything they had was because of Chris Jericho. Uh and there's Eddie Kingston, who's too stupid to stay home after he got his face burned and talks about his girl and stuff like that. Uh, Brian Danielson, he feb. Brian Danielson, one of possibly the greatest wrestler in the world today, and nothing more than a nerd. <laughs> He's never had a drink or a drug in his life. What's he playing at, eh? But don't worry, if you hang around with these long enough, you'll be getting disco biscuits and whiskey shoved down your throat, so much so you'd have to join a program like Moxley. <sighs> I'm not sure nah. about that one. Um, he calls them, I did like this though, line to recover it, a royal flush of losers. <laughs> uh, and he says, go home, Regal, stay out of my business, because if you don't, I'll throw a fireball in your face, because I'm a wizard. I love the delivery. <laughs> it took ages, this entire segment, but just the, the, the delivery of that line is so good. Yeah. Or maybe I'll just piss I him. love how much he loves saying it as yeah, well. Yeah, I love him I'm saying it. a wizard. <laughs> it's it's the it's the new for me personally. Uh, you just made the list. Like yeah. I know we're, we're all working towards here, and we know exactly what he's going to say and how he's going to say it. But I still want you to say it. He's good at a lot of things, Chris Jericho, but he's the best at that specific trait. Yeah, like yeah. That, and that comparison is a perfect one as well. Like whether it be clicking the pen at the time as well. You just do it, do, do it, do it. Wizard, he's a wizard. <laughs> what am I cheering for? I don't know. <laughs> Where do I like being from? Washington. Because I'm a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he threatens to piss in his tea again, of course. Uh, and Regal fires back and talks about the well, 20 plus years that they have uh, been together, worked together, been in the same company. And uh, he's having to hear Jericho's whiny voice ever since then. He said, The only thing that would make me feel worse if I had to hear this more was screams from a burning orphanage. What a line. What a line that was. Where did that come from? I didn't really want to think about that, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, but he said, the one thing that has kept me going through all these years that we've been together and been in companies together is that whenever you know, we'd share a locker room and you'd go out there, I'd very, like, very softly, softly, so I'd go into your bag and I'd gently unzip your, your, travel, your, 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 your travel toiletries and I'd stick your toothpaste, a toothbrush, right up my bottom. He said, toothbrush, toothbrush, toothbrush. Should be a toothbrush, right up my bottom. Uh, Garcia is like, oh, you can't do that. You can't say that. And he says, oh, I did the same thing to you, sweetheart. Flower. Flower, sorry. Flower. Yes, that was the line I was looking for. Um, so Jericho says, look, we know you want to fight. And this is the bit you referenced earlier, Hamflet. Um, why not? A double or nothing. We have a match that me and Jake Hager created. Stadium. And Moxley goes, no, I'm not doing that shit. <laughs> he said, I'm not getting sucked into that bloody stupid sports entertainment vortex. 
this calls for a, a situation. Everyone wants to see the Jericho Appreciation Society lose. At double or nothing, it is going to be five on five. Anything goes. This glorious man. You can call it what you want, he said. Uh, pro wrestling versus sports entertainment. What's he actually listed as, actually, on Wikipedia? Gang warfare. <laughs> right, that's what we're calling it. Um uh, uh, or you could call it beautiful, violent art versus a bunch of stupid BS. Uh, but Jericho then stirs the pot a little bit. He says, okay, yeah, fair enough, five on five, let's do it sort of thing. But can you all, can can they coexist? Which is actually, for once, a very valid point. He points out the fact that they had the good eye for an eye match. Um, he talks about the, 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 the things that, and he gets Daddy Magic to quote the things that Kingston and Danielson have said to each other. Um, and he just he just says, you know, when it comes down to it, can you sort of trust each other? Uh, and Eddie Kingston, despite burying the crowd, he goes, ah, oh, to be honest, I don't care what you think. I don't even care what these people in the arena think. Um, I don't even care about ratings or anything like that. I just want to fight. And he still gets a bit as a result of that. Jericho Appreciation Society go to go down to the ring for it all to kick off tonight. And they go, actually, they've not got that much longer left on this show, so probably not tonight. Uh, anyway, they've got to get out of there. And Eddie goes to go after them. Danielson stops him, and there's a big shoving match, and Regal has to separate them. The bit that came immediately after this really wound me up, but we'll get to that in a second. Sige, what did you make of this face-to-face? It went too long in and of itself, and the longer it went on, this battle between pro wrestlers and sports entertainers, the longer it went on, the more the invisible wall became very obvious, and that is home to... Sports entertainment, which this whole segment is meant to lampoon, which the whole JAS is meant to lampoon. Pro wrestling is going to ultimately prevail, potentially not at the pay-per-view, but they'll do blood and guts and they'll run it back again. Pro wrestling is going to win over sports entertainment. Where better than the Fed? This is a Fed angle. Probably a better version of a Fed angle, but invisible wall over which threats and barbs and cute one-liners are launched to no response. Like... Cody Rhodes said it himself on literally the fourth episode of Dynamite. You know, the walls aren't invisible here. They were saying deeply personal stuff. Like the most personal Jericho's got, the most personal anyone's got against Moxley. Everyone's mileage will vary. I'm not a Mark. I know for a fact they've said I can do it yet. I'm a big carny, me, Chris Jericho. Can I bury you for going in the clinic yet? And Moxley is a guy who just doesn't give a fuck. He's obviously just going to say, yeah, of course. I'm not a mark. I know this conversation took place. I still didn't feel like I wanted Chris Jericho to get beaten up for saying it. I just thought, uh, you're better than this. Everyone involved is better than this. So, yeah, there were elements that I found very entertaining. Others, not so much. Others that give me an icky feeling. But, again, the length of this, not only was it kind of like, right, get on with it in itself, but I'm doing the exact same thing. The Invisible War made it feel like a sports entertainment segment when it's meant to crucify sports entertainment. Yeah, I think you've maybe hit upon... I hadn't worked out why I didn't feel like this worked, and maybe the length is that because... Oh, the, long, the, the longer it went on, the more I was having, like... was getting given too long to analyse all of it and maybe pick it apart. I thought there were a couple of, like... I don't know if it would be classed like a continuity error or a plot hole or anything. I, it felt the more the segment went on, the more that Regal's lot were the sports entertainers. The wall's point, Eddie Kingston wants to fight, so Eddie Kingston should just go and fight and just see what happens. That, that would... That would make good on what he was actually saying and then the longer he didn't the more i'm thinking why are you not really selling that you were burnt two weeks ago and then it's like why is none of this really selling that he was burnt two weeks ago and then moxley for all that i I love who he is and what they have with him did sort of feel like he was 
doing some WWE scripted verbiage. Like the way he was talking and the cadence and the the quest to find a name for this match almost felt as bad as that. Well, we're not doing Stadium Stampede because I've got a different name. I I've got did, a different alliteration. Sorry, you know? I did love the tease. Because it was a bit of self-awareness. Like, yeah. Yeah. can't do this and not in a pandemic. And I got the dread. Uh-huh. And they nailed the timing of how long it was meant to register before Moxie was like, no. Uh, so great. time, he said, didn't he? Yeah. So great. Like, But it was a bit but he did then rage in the cage, penis in Uranus. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> he did steer them to penis in Uranus towards the end. And I was like, who were the... And Jericho's done all these real cutting barbs. And then William Regal's got the gagging about a toothbrush. It's like... Who's the sports entertainers then? Mm, because, like, yeah. and it, I thought, like, this lost its way a little bit. And I, 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 Cedric's made a point every week that this isn't what it should be and we can't nail why. Like, I've never been more with you on that. Like, I might like the majority of the people involved. And I might like the Jericho Appreciation Society for having a lot of people that I want to see achieve a lot from this. I just don't feel it as a, as a war. There's a very, very, very noble and indeed thoughtful attempt to just get loads of people on the pay-per-view. And the thing is, it's still just getting loads of people on the pay-per-view at once. Seven if, matches, I think, announced now. Also, is once it... pre-show, but it's still... Again, like, I understand. I get, the, I get the point, and I get the whole idea of the... So when Jericho and the gang are sports entertainment this, sports entertainment that, the fans are supposed to go, we hate sports entertainment, and like, but they're not supposed to be saying, we're taking the piss out of sports entertainment. They're actually supposed to be patting it on the back and saying, you know... We believe this is the best philosophy of pro wrestling, and that's what makes people stars. Are you then not having your cake and eating it a bit if Chris Jericho mocks the eye for an eye match? Do you not just leave that well alone? Because he's like he's mocking some ludicrous sports entertainment whilst saying that nah, we're the sports entertainers. Is it? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you, they are taking the piss out of WWE every single week, but you shouldn't be so knowing about it. You shouldn't, you know. Yeah. Like, we're going to beat you with double or nothing backlash. You, you can't do that. You got to show a little bit more ass to this. Yeah, I like the fact that we, you, you two have raised really valid points about being annoyed with this segment. And the thing that annoyed me most was Excalibur going, "Huh, Matt Sidell and Dante Martin." Sorry, as well. I also didn't really believe the infighting. The, these baby faces are too hard and cool to be getting worked by Jericho into not coexisting. I'm not having that. Yeah, like they're just too cool and awesome. But it was like, just like I wanted to see. Like, there, there was pushing and shoving with Brian at the end. I'm like, come on, in the jaw jacket and stuff. And he just went, well. And I was like, what? It's always on to the next thing. Yeah. On to the next that thing. Really, it really pissed me off that did for some reason. Uh, broke Bivens with Jade Cargill. Woke Bivens with these two complete dweebs that desperately need somebody cool and fun and interesting to talk for them. Yeah. Because I just, like, I'm glad that, like, I feel sorry for Donnie Martin. He never has having to be one. a heel, though, Bivens. Do you reckon? Yeah. Like, he's never right, got one yeah, set yeah. partner. Bless him. Don't mind. He's just like, Darius can't catch a break. And, like, Leo oh, Rush was off and all this sort of thing. So they're, ba- they're back to this again. But, like, I like Matt Seidel enough. Like, he's never been angry about a goddamn thing in his life. That, uh, I can't buy that he's furious now. I did like that. I did like his uh, his line of uh, the highest high flyers because I thought, stand ready, bro. <laughs> stand ready. <laughs> Anyway, they challenge challenge Backboard Combat Club and their you know violence only strategy to to a fight on Friday. And I thought, cool. What? 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 I thought so we were... partridge, aren't they? Now we're Norfolk's, Norfolk's maddest men. <laughs> Why? Uh, and then it was time for the Women's Owen Hart Cup quarterfinal featuring the Joker baby. <laughs> it was Britt Baker who was uh, going to face. Maki Ito, great to see her back in AEW, the uh, deity of 
bitches. We'll call it. I'll be good. I'll be good. Uh, she was revealed as the Joker. Sings her entrance. baby, for all of this. And uh, they, they reference, because the, the smart company, the fact that these two are history, and they even show a little clip of it, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and Makito gets in there, and she does the whole, oh, go on then, I'll just lay down for you. Psych! Uh, rolls her up immediately, and Britt Baker's like, whoa, what the bloody hell is this? Forearm to the face, Makito. Just, if you, like, crystallize, well, what, what have I missed from Makito being in AW? That. Hmm. Does that. Gets punched in the face, starts crying, stamps on her foot, flips her off. <laughs> uh, and she does the, is it called the Kakeshi, the the, the falling oh, yeah. thing? Uh, I did love, I will give put Excalibur over here, the amount of times he said the words, inhumanly strong skull for <laughs> Magneto. I went, it's like Michael Cole that though. You've said that, you've said that, but he got it over. I was like, yep, well, again, I'm buying that. She's got an insanely strong skull, uh, which was thrown, shown throughout the match. Uh, Best ever use of that corner cam, surely. Yeah, it was great. Did, but, yeah. It gave you so much time to flip between Mackie and Britt Baker's reaction to it, <laughs> yes. so you could enjoy both like simultaneously. Uh, that was a little bit later on. Before that, we'd had a, a cradle from a, an attempt at a lockjaw and a sling blade to take us to the break. When we come back, uh, Ito starts her comeback suplex. She gets driven into the corner. That is the moment as Baker's pulling out the glove, thinking she's got this match won. That Ito just starts headbutting the the corner, uh, fires up. Tornado DDT gets a two count again. Baker avoids the uh, Kakeshi, uh, but then this time Ito changes it and manages to hit it and gets herself a two count. But straight off the back of that, Baker nails her with a thrust kick, flips off the camera, and puts her in the lock jaw. For the submission victory, Tony Storm comes out afterwards for a stare down. What a semi-final that's going to be. Hopefully, yeah, should be really good. This was fun. This was a lot yeah. of fun with, as Hamlet points out, like a nice, like thoughtful fun. Not just some silly bollocks. Like they've actually applied some thought how to extract the maximum from a production perspective, how to get this over. The Kakeshi faint popped me. A lot of stuff in this match really popped me. But like I was in that low vibe where I'm like, I've just watched something that really disappointed me. I'm not looking forward to the main event. I'm starting to think of Wordle. <laughs> oh, that's not a good sign. No. You're doing it today. I haven't done it today so far. Uh, yes, I got it in four, I believe. Ooh. After a streak of two. Oh, two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a cock. <laughs> you a hurdle guy? No. Well, it's big, big. I hate it so much that I was really tempted to swear then. I'm a big hurdle guy. It's crap. It's got such a minimal library of music. It's my kind of library. <laughs> I'm like, here we go. There we go. Got it. I like can. <laughs> <laughs> I like can. Sessions. I like I like I like can because they could not be more difficult for newcomers. Yeah. No, like no, they're no. just like obstropriously difficult from the very beginning. I ain't a can are you? Are you sure you're into us? Try this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. you can't even go to like can Spotify top five and be like, oh, this is perfect. Like it's a pain in the arse some can, but like I like them. I do like for, for it, yeah. I don't, I, don't usually, I don't usually like sort of like sneering stuff. But I do like can. I like this. This was like a blast. This was a lot of fun. This was a blast and a refreshing one at that. I was I was informed by our resident wrestling hipster, Andy Murray, that Mackie has become so much more than it's a cruel call, like the novelty act she was. No, I think that's a fair assessment. I, that's what I received ago. her as, yeah. Like, and I was showing it here. Uh, this was this was great, right? Because not only was it obviously loads of fun and it took advantage of everything that Mackie was really good at and the fact that we don't get her every week means it feels like a treat, mm-hmm. but also that like the value of a star. Britt Baker <laughs> is a massive star. Yes. And it has never mattered 
what she can and can't. It, of course it matters. Everything matters about what you can do as a wrestler. But it's never just about what you are as a wrestler. It's about how you project and about what you get across in your time, your match and margin and minutes. Britt Baker, for the longest time, especially as a world champion, was starting to be judged more on maybe some of her perceived failings as a, as a worker. And it's just, this was the first time since she's lost the belt that I've been able to enjoy her with the pressure off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This was just like, you don't need to, like not everything needs to be super tight or super technical or super brilliant. You just need to project the star that you are. This was such a great character-based exhibition of who she still is. Loads of personality to this match. And I think like, and I understand it too. She was having to like try and bat back some of the criticisms of her work as a champion because there are expectations of an AW world champion. And this was just her getting to flex a little bit again. This character is perfect in and of itself. It's the character that project like that that helped her ascend to being a championship contender in the first place. She doesn't need all that outside interference in every single goddamn yeah. match. It's felt like a while since we've had this like Britt Baker just like fleshing it like because it's gonna go back to the work's gonna be judged in the Tony Storm match. I think Yes. And so we're gonna go back to saying like, well, can can she go? And those are gonna be the debates and those are gonna be the questions. This was just like this this wasn't the Britt Baker show because Mac Eater wasn't gonna let it be that. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of the best of both of them. I got a lot out of this. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, Tony Schiavone's in the ring. Uh, he's talking about the three-year anniversary of AEW, and he's interrupted by Serena Deeb, who's fed up of hearing him talk. She's pissed off about him picking Thunder Rosa to beat her. Um, and she says, comes down and says she's not getting enough respect, and she eventually calls out Dustin Rhodes to to berate him for, for, for picking his favourite and, and, you know, saying what he said about, you know, her and the title match. And she calls him a failure. And she uh, the bit I did like was when she just went two-foot in the bollocks she had to do as part of WWE. She shaved her head. She got breast implants, but now she's the realest version of herself and she's going to, you know, she's 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 shown and she is going to show why she is the best. Why why can't why do you think Thunder Rosa is better than me? Give me an answer. Give me an answer as to why you don't think I can defeat her or things like that. And she slaps Dustin in amongst all this outcomes Thunder Rosa. Nice to see her again. I haven't seen her for... Well, granted, I missed a few weeks, but I haven't seen her for bloody ages. Out she comes to get in Serena Deep's face, and uh, for a split second, the way he picked her up, I thought, oh my God, Dustin Rose is going to spine bust her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he picked her up. He was just like a perfect, like, just before an R. Anderson twist and slam down. Obviously, he was just holding her there to stop her from, from getting involved in Serena Deep. But she's, she's, she wants to get hands, and she's swinging her arms, and she accidentally clip, uh, clips Dustin. He goes down, uh, and as she goes to check on him, she turns around. Serena Deep's picked up uh, the women's world title, and she clocks uh, Thunder Rosa with all this. I've seen differing views on this. I'd love to know what you both made of it. So the content of this promo was multifariously brilliant for like reasons we'll, we'll probably dig into shortly. The delivery was not, right? But I'm going to give uh, AW a hair ruffling, big gold star for this because Serena Deeb is a phenomenal pro wrestler. We've gone over that plenty of times. The evidence is out there. This match is probably going to rule, right? Pass it on. Pass it on, yeah. Chin stroke emoji. Serena Deeb is good, actually. Um, <laughs> she's not a fantastic talker, but how often in AW's history has X is not a fantastic Y been a reason to not give the woman time to do give the women time to do stuff yeah. right this is a title program on a pay-per-view so what that she can't talk let her go out there and try with a message and see how this goes i am so impressed that they have realized that chances need to be taken and opportunity needs to be given to the women and equal measures because there's plenty of men that 
cut terrible promos and are given time to do yeah. it. That are bang average wrestlers that have bang average matches and get time to do it every week. It's abs- This wasn't even a failure, but it's okay to fail and still get the time to do it again and again and again and again. So, like, well done, kudos. Finally, you realise that this needs to be presented as just as important, even if the segment isn't some sort of home run. Because loads of the content was home run stuff. It was just, this is not her strongest area. You're going to see her strongest area. You're going to pay to watch it. And that's why it is, that's why she's as valuable to this company as she is. So I was really pleased that they did that. Um, loved that Serena Deeb in particular. You've highlighted this, like, before. Like, it probably doesn't get spoke about that she was, what, 1920 being put through the ringer in that wretched system, a rigged game that she was destined to lose to the point where when she does go back, she's got to say thanks very much and get a coaching job just to be back in through the door as, like, someone in her early 30s because of the, you know, rank misogyny that, like, rules wrestling. So brilliant that she got to let that out. There are a number of... I've put this on Twitter. There are a number of glass houses with which should be careful throwing stones. Yes. A lot. Truthfully, probably more than I've even highlighted on Twitter. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, I'll just say it. Like, you're having your cake and eating it if you're sending a baby face out there to, like, slut shame Ty Conti once a week mm-hmm. and then talking about the, the perverts of old. Like, it's, 20, yeah. it's 2022, but it doesn't appear that way in, on Dynamite and Rampage every week. So, AEW as a company needs to be careful. I was glad that she got to have her moment as what must have been 10, 12 years of oh, having yeah. to hold on to that sort of thing, you know? Because ultimately, when somebody is only an okay talker, the wrestling needs to do the talking for them, and we're pretty certain it will. I loved the content, and honestly, I wasn't that asked about the delivery of the story beat, which was so nice to see a little bit of weight, a little bit of motivation, a little bit of purpose behind something to do with the top scene in the AEW AEW women's division. Mm. The problem, which I have the solution to, I should be a consultant for this company, honestly. (laughs) Everyone says, I think Tony Khan needs some help. (laughs) I think the issue here is that... The podcast is telling him to delegate. Tell him to delegate to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But an extra Bunsen. (laughs) The issue, I think, is that not only is Serena Deeb not the best talker, she's not a terrible one by any means, um, but she's going to get outclassed by a lot of people who are on this program and this episode specifically. She had to interrupt she had to act she had to do it while she was talking timing cues all of this would have been going around her head mm-hmm. um the blocking was a bit wonky and who came out and all the rest of it you know what this needed desperately desperately contract signing in a table i needed a graphic we're going to do a contract signing for the aw women's championship so it's one it, the fact that they're advertising this makes it feel like a big deal the match yes. itself it's more yes. purposeful that, isn't it? yeah which yeah. is badly lacking um you have just an entrance, you don't have to talk during it, you don't have to get a time cue to interrupt. She can just say what's in her head. And it was obviously not in her head, but on the tip of her tongue and in her heart. That much was evident and that much saved it, incidentally. But if they were just sat there and Tony Schiavone was conducting this contract mm-hmm. signing and just a little bit of hype material, how you think you're going to win all the rest of it, that's when Serena D, when she was sat down without having to think about walking out, should have said, actually, Tony. What did you say last week? And then you cut that promo. And then without Dustin Rhodes needing to be there, and, and you as well, Dustin Rhodes, I know you're somewhere in the back, just that way, instead of so many moving parts yeah. that someone who isn't very good at navigating them had to navigate. That one's free. <laughs> everyone <laughs> want, gets one. Yeah, everyone gets one. If you want anything else. I hope it wasn't um, belt theft as well. 
The one thing this didn't really... I hope she took it just to make a point and then, like, obviously... She oh, you didn't even it. pick up she on that, She just left yeah. it when she's gone I remember backstage. the last time. I didn't until you've just said it. It was Adam <laughs> that's Cole. That's how effective... It was the Undisputed Elite, wasn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. how effective that was. Aye, so I hope that was just to make a point rather than she comes out next week with the belt. Uh, main event time, it was uh, Serena Deep's drinking partner, wasn't it? Adam Cole. It was, yeah. yeah. Adam Cole versus <laughs> Jeff Hardy in the uh, semi-finals of the Owen Hart Cup. Uh, we'll rush through this because we're running out of time, just like AW were. Um, <laughs> Adam Cole attacks Jeff Hardy during his entrance, uh, and they fight down there, and uh, Jeff uh, hits a dive off the apron, but Cole cuts him off again, sends him into the ring steps to take us to commercial. When we come back, there's like, what? Seven minutes left. Yeah, good. Not, I, was, I was glad about this. Not a lot of time left for this main event. Good. Uh, <laughs> and the angle they booked for afterwards. Yes. Uh, the Cole, all the ever present angle. <laughs> Cole hits a heel kick but runs into an integuri, uh from Jeff. Jeff comes back with a forward suplex for two, and then they go. Oh, what did Adam say on the uh, on the podcast yesterday? Let's just do that finish, shall we? Jeff goes whisper in the wind. Cole hits him with a super kick, two count. Uh, Cole drops the knee pad, goes to lower the boom, but Jeff uh, gets gets out of the way of that. Hits him with a twist of fate. Hits him with a neck breaker. Goes up top. Swan Tom bomb, but Cole gets out of the way. Lowers the boom. One, two, three. Jeff obviously in the tape again, all over his ribs. And I'll I'll just say everything that happened to close the show, and then we'll get your thoughts on everything uh, post match. Um, there's a moment with uh, Matt Hardy, and it looks like maybe uh, Adam Cole's going to super kick in when he's check- checking on Jeff Hardy. But you know, there's just a just a stare down, just a bit of jaw jacking, um, and then it looks like oh, the young bucks slide in. They're going to super kick the Hardys from behind, but no, they're not going to do that. And the Hardys turn to face them, and then Cole clotheslines them both from behind. Uh, they take them out and hit the BTE trigger. Sting and Darby Allen run down to make the save, but Red Dragon come out and just Darby Allen just gets murdered with a high-low uh, on the ramp. Sting comes down, though, and ju- just takes over, fights off Cole, fights off Red Dragon. I think it's Kyle O'Reilly hits him with a chair, maybe Bobby Fish. One of Red Dragon hits him with a chair, no-sells it, fights back, but eventually the number game catches up to him. He gets hit with super kicks and Kyle O'Reilly pilmanizes his ankle with a diving knee drop onto a chair to close out the show. And they're just all screaming, we're running out of time. You know, see you next week. Um, but it looks like, uh, yes, the undisputed elite stand tall to close the show. If we're doing our Excalibur voices, because I really need to pay some of have gone over time. <laughs> I'm gonna do, I've only got three, th- three things to say about this match. So I'm going to say them in quick succession. Number one, this was a little bit better than I actually thought it was going to be. Number two, it was still a heavily generic WWE-style TV main event that really gave me nothing on an emotional level. Number three, I'm so bored of the schmozzes, the beatdowns, everyone's got maids, but the heels have got maids as well, so when they do the beat-em-ups, uh, the baby face has got to have friends, it's just a schmoz, it's just a blur. I completely tune out when I see about six or seven extra bodies in an AEW TV angle. I completely tune out, and if you had said to me, guess what, Sage? Yeah? In... You got to say to me in October 2019. Guess what, Titch? Yep. Yeah, what, 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 what you got to say? Well, I've got something to say. And it's uh, in 2022. In 2022, um, on AEW Dynamite, you're going to see an interaction between Sting, what, <laughs> and Kyle O'Reilly. Yes. And they're going to be having a fight and a brawl involving yeah, the Hardy Boys. Uh, I don't care about that. But still, and that's the books, uh, yeah. The, 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 the Kyle O'Reilly and Sting interaction is ridiculous. This is great, and I still don't care because I'm tuning out the second I see the beatdown, the schmoz, the save. Fucking piss off. Follow me at M Sidgwick. I found the prospect of having to speak as quickly as Sidgwick did there, as articulately as he did, as stressful as it was watching this show go off the air with like Tony Schiavone rolling back the nitro. Oh my God, we're out of fucking time! <laughs> like I, none of the none of the ending registered. So much was going on, I didn't care about any of it. I also like had a little bit of disappointment. The one thing I had, I thought like 
was going for me with the Young Bucks and Hardys was that like the Young Bucks, it was going to like inform the baby face turn. They've got this mutual respect. They want the match. You can feel they want it. You know, it's like, yeah. And then like, it's, all, it's all BT triggers. They're assholes again. And it's like, oh, I like that less than I did. Like now when they shake hands and hug at the end, it's going to be like, you were just kicking the heads off when they were in a beaten down state TV. I don't buy it. You know, Colin, Jeff Hardy, I'm actually going to be generous about all that tape, Jeff Hardy. I think they were going to tell uh, a, a longer, not much longer, three minutes maybe, but the, the whole story of the match was going to be Adam Cole beats down, beats down, beats down, Jeff Hardy gets one hope spot and then he loses. And it was going to be quite the impressive smoke and mirrors act. All that tape, Jeff Hardy selling the after effects, the dark, he cannot do these matches anymore and we're showing you that. And then obviously like they're getting ready for the match, they're doing the warm-ups and then Tony Carr's going, hey guys, we've only got about five minutes now so you're going to have to cut this in half. And they've got like an ad break to figure it out and they don't do the best job of cutting the right bits. So it was neither... I had it on Tony on commentary. Tony Schiavone was like, we're going to go as long as this goes. And I was like, so six minutes. Then. Yeah, it's like, yeah. uh, you've lost five minutes of your match and an ad break in the middle of it. So they're like, what? They're in gorilla position having to cut half of it. And I forgot the, the ad break. So I was like, oh no. Yeah, they've just maybe not cut the right bit. I, I personally think they were placed in a disadvantage. I could be wrong. But that's my speculation. I think you might be right. There was one fairly obvious story they were trying to tell, but they had to cut key bits out. And as a result, it was neither one thing nor the other. Um, and yeah, like none of the ending really right. This was like timing and pacing sounds like bitty podcast analysis stuff. It's really important. And here's why. The never learning. Not, ev- not everything. And like, this is the example I want to use on purpose to exhibit the fact that they are never learning. Not everything can be like the Young Bucks six man tag at the end of All In. Like, and that was the first thing they ever did. And we're still here, like, <laughs> yes. three, four years later. That was the first thing they ever promoted. And we're still here having this conversation. Where can people follow you on Twitter? Michael Hamlet. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Let us know any thoughts on everything we've discussed on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Me and Sid will be back tomorrow to look ahead to AEW Rampage, Rampage baby. baby. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we... We'll see you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 